Felcha. Welcome to the Village Oak Tree for December 13, 2023. My name is Terrence O'Donnell, and I'm back to your village with more news from the outside world. Come sit with me under the Village Oak Tree as I regale you with bits of important news from around the world and an editorial about something special. The show is free to subscribe to on all major podcast apps, including Substack and YouTube. I have a donation tab on the Village Oak Tree webpage at rss.com and my website at www.crandabeha.com. For anyone that feels generous enough to support my work, I appreciate it very much. Think of it like passing the hat at the end of my visit to your village. So if you like what I had to say here, please share this podcast with anyone you know as much as possible before it gets too late. My motive is not for money but to make a difference in the world, and I can't do it without all your help. So for each article I present to you, there's going to be links to read the stories in entirety in the follow-up newsletters posted at medium.com, substack.com, and in the blog section of my website, which my website's free to everyone. So when I go on my break, I've created a short advertisement for my website, and it gives you details of what's inside. It's the only commercial break here, so don't worry about anything else. Coming up in the second half, more on Gaza with a focus on the U.S. and their wavering support for Israel. What world opinion is regarding the efforts for a ceasefire or lack thereof and more. So let me get to the first set of stories. I've got a bunch of stories from around the world here for you. Uh, a little bit about of everything. My first story was come out a few days ago. Soaring pollution in Pakistan's Lahore fills wards with sick children by Charlotte Greenfield, Mubashir Bukhari. This came out of Reuters.com. So it's a good example of what's coming for a large part of the populated world. China had its issues not that long ago. In India, this story from Lahore now. Air quality is only going to continue to get worse and kill off the most vulnerable, the children and the senior citizens. OPEC rallies members against fossil fuels phase out at COP28. Climate campaigners welcome draft agreement that includes options for the phase-out of fossil fuels, but fear the text could be watered down. And I got this one from Al Jazeera. So it's no surprise that Saudi Arabia is leading the pact to stop the phase-out of fossil fuels. None of them want their countries to go back to the free oil days of desert dwellers. They like their comfortable palaces and their authoritarian rule. And part of what's going on, and there's been multiple stories coming out of the COP28 conference over there, that countries couldn't agree on doing the phase-out. I guess they finally came up with something, but then they're still balking at it. Everybody's got an opinion about it. And so now, with everybody arguing about it, are we actually going to be able to phase out fossil fuels? Yeah, I seriously doubt it. This leads into my next story. Making oil more profitable than saving the planet. These numbers tell the story. This came out of NPR uh, in their morning edition by Camilla Demonask. With the world using 102 barrels of oil a day and the rate going up, debate is on about consistency for, you know, for says marketing. The profit margin is 20 to 50 percent of the for the sale of the barrel of oil compared to renewables, which only bring in at about uh, 2.5 percent. Do the math. Which way do you think the fossil fuel corporations, especially those in the Middle East, are going to lean? As one lunatic said at a campaign rally recently, drill, baby, drill. Make that money. 
nothing else matters. And that's one of the reasons why they had so much trouble at the COP28. Because all the drillers want to keep making money. And they're going to figure out a way to do it and still keep selling their oil. So now we're going to come back over to north uh, to the Americas. U.S. throws weight behind Guyana in territorial dis dispute with Venezuela. Top U.S. diplomat Blinken reaffirms support for Guyana's sovereignty as Venezuela threatens to annex its Escabo region. And this came out of Al Jazeera. So here we go again. Another country wants what another country has as well as to commit violence to get it. Venezuela wants all the resources from this area in the western part of Guyana and is trying to bully them to get it, saying that it has always belonged to them since they lost control back in 1899. That's a long time to hold a grudge. Meanwhile, the U.S. is standing behind Guyana, but to what extent? Will there be another war for the U.S. to try and deal with, especially right on their back door? So now this goes into the next article here. U.S. to conduct Guyana flights as tensions mount over Venezuela dispute. U.S. announces flight drills, stresses unwavering support for Guyana's sovereignty amid growing border tensions. Another one out of Al Jazeera. So flyovers now. Venezuela President Maduros has never been afraid of or a fan of the U.S. and now has pushed his vote to get through to get local support for the takeover of this Esquibo region that Guyana has been taking care of for over 100 years. As I mentioned in a previous article, it's obvious over, it's over money, and Maduro wants it. The all money, that is, plus whatever else he could exploit there. Is he willing to spend Venezuelan blood to get it? Well, that remains to be seen. It's been a little quiet for the last couple of days, uh, once the U.S. US announced some of this. But the deal is that ExxonMobil has got a, a, a drilling station down there, exploratory one at this point. But the United States is going to do all they can to defend that. They're in a tussle over the oil. Maduro's wants it. The United States wants to defend it. Of course, the United States obviously is going to get a cut of that. Um, whatever they give Guyana, the United States is going to get a huge bunch of it, especially ExxonMobil. So it's all about profits. So let's go back to the United States. Exclusive Biden administration presses Congress to approve tank shells for Israel's war in Gaza, sources, by Humeria Pamuk. And this came out of Reuters. So how contradictory can the U.S. be? They're doing everything they can to supply Israel with weapons of all kinds, blocking a ceasefire resolution in the U.N. And yet, next story, U.S. skips congressional review to approve emergency sale of tank shells to Israel by same reporter Humeria Pamuk and Mike Stone. Again, out of Reuters. Biden and company are doing it, with or without congressional approval. If you think the IDF is just going to stockpile all that American munitions for future defense, you must really be a stupid human. The White House is up to something, and it certainly isn't going to benefit anyone but the Israelis and the White House. The public may never know the secret deals, or if some, or some intrepid reporter should find out someday, it'll be too late anyway. And these are the people we are entrusting to run our government. But then... You go look at this a couple of days later. Biden says Netanyahu must change Israel, losing global support. By Trevor Honeycutt and Steve Holland. Another one out of Reuters. Biden is going to show his true colors rather than his hawkish age now. He never really liked BB. It is starting to come out a little bit now. Makes you wonder what happens next. Israel is adamantly opposed to a two-state solution. So will the Israeli government buck the U.S. over this? 
as remains to be seen. As I mentioned previously, the United States stopped the vote, basically by vetoing UN General Assembly votes overwhelmingly in favor of Gaza ceasefire. The U.S. and Israel were among the few votes against the non-binding resolution calling for an end of the fighting. It just come out of Al Jazeera. Although non-binding, 153 countries voted for a ceasefire with 23 abstaining and 10 voting no. The U.S. being one of them, obviously. The U.N. states that this is just to show that public opinion around the world favors a ceasefire and that the U.S. is increasingly becoming isolated from the rest of the world. Some would say they may like it that way. And with the Republicans doing what they're doing, it's becoming more and more likely. So now we're going to go over here to the U.K. UK's David Cameron scolds Scottish leader Homsa Yousaf over Erdogan meeting. Cameron says a meeting between Scotland's Hamza Yousaf and Turkish leader on the sidelines of COP28 breached protocol because a UK official was not present. And this came out of Al Jazeera. If there was ever a spark to push for Scottish independence, David Cameron could be it. Publicly chastising the Scottish Prime Minister over a side conversation at COP28 Without a UK rep in attendance, it's like rebuking an errant child in elementary school. Threatening the Scottish government with certain UK cooperations and offices should only make things worse. I don't see the Scots tucking tail and ducking under a table like a whipped puppy over this either, but I could be wrong. If it were me, I would be seriously insulted and stand up to Cameron like the bully he is. So now the question of the day is, are, is Scotland actually going to stick up for themselves and tell David Cameron where to stick it. Now we're going to come back to the United States. U.S. sanctions dozens of people worldwide over human rights abuses by Daphne Saledicus and Michael Martina. This come out of Reuters. It's okay for the U.S. to sanction people over human rights issues as long as no one touches Israel. The credibility of the United States is coming under fire as no one, especially countries in the Middle East, truly knows where the U.S. stands with them. Defending the atrocities being committed by Israel and supplying them with bigger and better weapons to kill more Palestinians with will definitely endear them to world leaders outside of Europe. And even the Europeans are kind of looking at us, at the Americans sideways here. Um, but as, you know, just to kind of give you an idea, the United States sold Israel a bunch of bunker busters, and now they sold them all those tank shells and at the same time, on the other side of the cheek, they're now starting to tell Israel, well, we think you've gone too far. You've got to quit killing all them people over there and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's like, okay, nobody really knows where the Americans stand right now. They don't know. So now I got a story out of Canada. And it's more of a social justice story here from Western Canada. RCMP under investigation after indigenous woman's body found within a kilometer of where she went missing. Body found almost a month after disappearance. And the IIO to determine if RCMP action in action contributed to death. This was from Andrew Kujata in CBC News. So another dead First Nations young lady near the Highway of Tears in British Columbia. The investigators want to find out just how much effort the local RCMP actually put into finding her. They, the local office say they took out all the stops, but did they really? With their past reputation regarding First Nations women up there, it's anyone's guess 
until the I.O. gets done with their investigation. And the big thing is, it's just another sad story coming out of coming out of B.C. about this particular highway where so many First Nations women up there have been killed um, by, you know, people raping them and killing them and you name it. And they're all up in arms about it. And yet the RCMP seems to be like, yeah, okay, we'll get to them if you like it. All right, now I got some environmental stuff here for you, an article. Massive solar farm puts Summerside farther down the road to energy self-sufficiency. We believe in the green movement. We believe in decarbonizing our community by Laura Meter at CBC News. New system will provide up to 25% of the power needed for the residents of Prince Edward Island. This is a good thing for them. More and more communities across the world are starting to jump on this bandwagon. A lot of individual homeowners are also taking advantage of tax credits to make themselves self-sufficient in this warming world, me being one of them. All right, now we're going to go over to Russia. Russia's Putin tells soldiers, I will run for president again in 2024 by Guy Falkenbridge and Andrew Osborne in Reuters. This shouldn't come as any surprise. It'll be no surprise when he wins again with no opposition to speak of. This is what a certain MAGA wannabe president want, hopes to aspire to in 2024. Russia tries to unfreeze gold reserves for climate funds at COP28. Another story from Reuters. This is not likely to happen as Russia can't be trusted, but it sounds good up front. As the article says, Russia is just looking for another angle to get their hands on that gold and use it for the Ukraine war. COP28 would not likely see any of it, and the West knows this. Australia plans to have migrant intake, tighten student visa rules by Rangio Jose, and it's come out of Reuters. Australia is cutting back real hard on low-skilled immigrants and upgrading the English skill levels for international students in a bid to curb excess migrations beyond what the country can handle, citing homelessness as the biggest issue. This is just a start. Other countries will be falling suit, especially Canada, Great Britain, and the U.S., then likely the EU, which they have already started. The big thing about all of this is everybody's all up in arms about migration all over the world. It's happening everywhere. People are moving because of climate and wars, social injustice, you name it, all kinds of stuff, but they're all going. Problem is the countries they're going to don't have the facilities to take care of them. Number one thing being housing. And, you know, I've got an article next that talks a little bit about that in that country. But Australia's having a big problem down there. And the number one thing that's going on in almost every one of these so-called rich countries is these real estate developers and corporations have come in and bought up all of this available real estate here in the United States, Australia, the UK, and they're jacking the rents up so high that people can't afford them. So they're becoming homeless. They're becoming angry. It is becoming a problem. So what does Australia do? Well, they just cut back on immigration. Well, okay then. That doesn't solve the problem for all the people that are in there right now. So lazy into my next article. Is immigration to Ireland out of control? Meaning the land of 100,000 welcomes are worried. While the UK has grappled with contentious migration legislation, immigration has barely featured in public discourse across the Irish Sea. Now that could be about to change. Stephen Murphy writes. And this is Stephen Murphy, Ireland correspondent. Uh, for Sky News. 
Immigration in Ireland is now coming under intense scrutiny after the attack and riots in Dublin, and the longtime Islamic residents are starting to become a little concerned. The word on the streets and in the pubs isn't good. It all has to do with social economics. Ireland, like a lot of countries right now, is experiencing a severe housing shortage because of unscrupulous investors that have come in across the island, bought up all the available real estate, jacked the rents up so hard they can, nobody can afford them. This makes the not-so-educated blaming it all on the immigrants who don't look, worse, look like them, worship like them, talk like them. So how does all this sound very familiar? Well, think about it. It's been going on in the United States now for a long time. And now Australia's going through it. Uh, and, you know, Great Britain's going through it. So it's becoming an issue. You know what? At this point, with all the stuff I've been reading this last week, I blame it on all these corporations going in, buying up all this real estate. They never should have been allowed to do that. And that, that's, a go that's everywhere in the world. They should not be allowed to do that. A crisis at the Mexico border felt in Ukraine by Sarah Smith, North American editor in Jacumba, California, for BBC News. With over 2 million immigrants from around the world trying to get across the U.S. southern border in 2023, the migrant cramps are full and the people are left to fend for themselves, with only two porta parties for all over here in this camp at Jacumba. No food or water or shelter. Landowners are furious at the immigrant, immigrants and the government for not being able to stop them. Now, the GOP has made it a condition for supporting Ukraine. No border lockdown, no money. So now, and there was an article about this, Zelensky from Ukraine basically had to go back to Ukraine with his tail between his legs because the Americans wouldn't give him any money. Biden is trying to fix that, but I tell you, it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough deal. Now I've got another immigration article here. Five takeaways from ProPublica's investigation of Coast Guard detentions at sea by Seth Frey Wessler. This came out of ProPublica.org. So, you know, the other story I told you about the southern border. Now we have another, the, our other southern border, the sea. Haitian migrant children not being allowed anywhere near shore and returned home, emaciated and thirsty by the U.S. Coast Guard. More cruel policies from the government that increasingly wants to shut down all immigration unless you're rich with a college degree. Then the story goes on to talk about how these children are being trafficked up through from um, the Haitian version of Mexican coyotes. And once they get put on these boats, the Coast Guard's picking them up, but the Coast Guard's not letting them anywhere near a beach. They keep them on the Coast Guard boats and turn them right around within three or four days and take them right back to where they came from. The only problem is they don't have the facilities. So they give them a little bit of ugly rice and beans and, and uh, some bottled water to, to get them through and, and then drop them off at the facility down there at Port-au-Prince. Um, you know, it's really bad. Now, this article here, because it's a little bit worrisome, a little bit. U.S. offers Argentina Millet support on IMF. Lithium, White House advisor says, by Adam Jordan. This came out of Reuters. Of course they are. The U.S. is after every bit of lithium it can get its hands on right now. And I'm sure they will find a way to steal it from Argentina somehow. You know, so that's big thing. As I've said in previous articles, the world right now, China and, and the United States especially, are fighting with each other over lithium mining. They're trying to get their hands on every bit of it right now to 
handle, you know, to put in all these batteries that they're making. And the United States obviously wants to be top dog. So, yeah, you betcha. They're going to go down there and Argentina's new uh, president, and they're going to offer him the world, and they're going to steal a rug off from underneath them as soon as they can. Now, I've got uh, another kind of, it's not really a social justice, but a little bit. Folk music stars join protests over plans to axe Gaelic at Aberdeen University. Staggering act of cultural vandalism is part of proposals to cut degree courses in modern languages from theguardian.com and UK News by Severin Carroll, Scotland editor for The Guardian. Protests abound as one of Scotland's oldest universities plans to axe a bunch of language courses because of budget cuts due to serious loss of enrollments. Something that is happening to colleges and universities all over the world now. The protesters bemoan the loss of Gaelic studies due to its importance to native Gaelic speakers from the northeast region of Scotland. Something the Irish know all too well about. Hopefully they can work, work something out as it should be. A, it would be a shame if Scots Gaelic became another one of those lost languages. No justice. 75 years after a British massacre in colonial, colonial Malaya. So this is coming out of South, Southeast Asia. British soldiers killed 24 innocent people in opening months of the Malayan emergency in 1948. Relatives of the victims still seek justice. And this one came out of Al Jazeera by Kevin Doyle. So in a story from the past, 1948 to be specific, a Scots Guard unit of the British Army massacred 24 innocent ethnic Chinese in Malaya and were never brought to trial. In his article, it talks about what happened in the background of the war for independence against British rule and the cruelties inflicted on the peoples there and how the Yanks used the same tactics in Vietnam. Then it goes on to, to, to talk about how the people of Bally Murphy, Northern Ireland, finally got justice for their dead, killed for no reason in 1971 by the British. They advised the people of Malay to not give up, keep fighting for justice, as the British have every reason to keep this stuff buried in, in the past, much like the Yanks do with their war crimes. My last story came out here. Italy's pro-life groups trying to force women seeking abortions to listen to fetal heartbeat. And this came out of Euro News by Giulia Car Carbonero. In, in a page taken out of the U.S. Anti-Abortion Handbook, Pro-life groups in Italy are pushing hard for stronger laws against abortions. The new PM is apparently sympathetic, so it may become a thing in Italy soon. But that's the thing. It's, it's, it's starting to get real hot over there about this abortion. Of course, Italy being a very strong Catholic country, um, it's a big push. Could be interesting. Now I'm going to take my break. I'll be back in a couple of minutes. So listen to my little advert about the website. And I'll be back soon with the second half. I want to take this break to bring attention to my website, crownnabeha.com. Just type in www.cranna-beatha.com in your browser and search for it. You may also use the link in the newsletters on medium.com, substack.com, or the podcast transcripts on rss.com to find it for the first time. The name is Gaelic, and it may be a little hard to find unless you know what you're looking for. Then bookmark it if you wish to return. 
I also have the RSS feeder enabled, so if you like my blog posts, you can get a notice whenever I post something new. Search for cronnabeha.com in your RSS feeder. Users finding the website for the first time will reach the welcome page to learn a little bit about what's inside. There you will see the homepage link where you can learn a little more about what Kronabeha means for a little bit of Irish culture and a little more about me in general. On the menu bar at the top, there are links to a blog section where I post podcast newsletters, blog articles, stories, and poems, a drop-down menu with links to both podcasts, a donations page, an ad page for my published books, and a contact page in case someone cares to leave a message. Everything I write is available in the blog section of my website for free. If you like what you see and are feeling generous, feel free to leave a donation and or a message in the comment page anytime. I'll respond fairly quickly within reason. Enjoy the music, and I'll be back with the second half shortly. Welcome back to the second half of the Village Oak Tree. I'm bringing us back to Palestine again this week. Not so much to talk about all the atrocities still being committed by Israel, but the broader scope of the West and most prominently the United States. As everyone around the world knows by now, if you have access to a news feed of any kind, the U.S. vetoed a ceasefire resolution in the U.N. a few days ago with repercussions heard around the world. Now, this was done at the U.N. Security Council level, so this is a binding vote. 
condemnations from Muslim countries and a few other things have given the United States a loss of credibility. As, you know, as I mentioned in the, in the first half, the UN held another vote, only a non-binding one, and 153 countries said, yeah, we want to cease fire. But the, one, the only one that counts is this one in the Security Council. I watched a videotape talk given by Chris Hedges at a lecture hall in Troy, New York last weekend, where he condemns the U.S. as well. No one in Washington, D.C. is talking about it much, so there has to have been some kind of backdoor deal or serious leverage between the U.S. and Israel, so huge that Biden is willing to risk serious credibility and possibly the next election if something good for the United States doesn't come out of this. On Monday, Palestinians around the world called on general strikes everywhere to protest the indiscriminate slaughter of innocent civilians. It will help put the world on notice that normal people around the world want this all to stop, except in the United States, where you can be arrested or punished for just supporting Palestine in any way there. So it remains to be seen whether any of that will move world leaders in the West, but maybe a little bit. And it does seem to be having some effect, you know, as, as attributed to the vote I just talked about. Meanwhile, as Chris had just told the audience in Troy, it's obvious what Israel's doing with the backing of the U.S., clearing out any and all Palestinians from Gaza and the West Bank. The original idea of forcing them into the Sinai Desert of Egypt or into Jordan failed, as those two countries refused on the threat of violence. Those governments have, have, moved, have even moved some troops to their borders to prevent any refugees from coming over. Palestinians have nowhere to go now and are continually being herded into smaller and smaller spots in South Gaza in what has now been declared a massive humanitarian disaster. Not to mention that Israel is bombing those places too. Disease is ramping up and the Israelis are not allowing any relief to get in or not enough anyway to help much. So on the battlefield, new propaganda videos are being circulated supposedly depicting captured Hamas fighters. But it didn't take long to out them as fakes by the news media. Israel will continue to spin a narrative in their favor, again, with the help of the U.S. media. The other question raised during the lecture in Troy was why the U.S. media is not reporting the truth. Why are nearly all of the factual stories coming out of Gaza and the West Bank coming from Al Jazeera and other Middle Eastern web media? Is the U.S. government telling American news media what they can and can't report again like they did back in 2003? Truthful journalists are being fired or not allowed to submit any stories to the U.S. media that supports the Palestinians. So here's a couple of articles that puts this all in perspective. This one came out of Al Jazeera. Analysis. As Israel escalates Gaza war, its kill rate claims don't add up. The claims aimed at fending off criticism over civilian casualties paint a picture of a war that makes no sense. This is from Zoran Kozavik. I watched Chris Hedges give a talk to a crowd in New York, as I mentioned, and he talked about how much the Israeli government is trying to cover up what has actually happened in Gaza. This analysis report pretty much asked the same question. What is the idea of hiding? Well, we kind of know. But I'm going to get into a little more of that here in a little bit farther down here. The next article, The Hunt for Hamas, narrative is obscuring Israel's real plans for Gaza. The U.S. press and politicians are trying to fit the attacks on Gaza into a zero-dark-30 mold, but it's something much simpler and sinister by Adam Johnson in TheNation.com. Al Jazeera has lost a lot of journalists to the Israelis, most of the bombings, but some to mechanized infantry, like tanks. It seems to be on purpose. 
This is supposed to be a war crime to deliberately target journalists who are investing gear labeled press. Apparently war crimes don't count if the journalists look like Palestinians. And that is the other part of the equation, accountability. It is becoming more and more obvious that the U.S. and Israel will never be held accountable for war crimes. The U.S. and Israel do not recognize the International Criminal Court, the ICC, so they don't think they have to adhere to any of their rulings. The U.S. has been guilty of war crimes going back decades and never really been held responsible. Miley was one of the first made international headlines back in 1968, but the U.S. punished the perpetrators to satisfy detractors and moved on. They didn't really tell anybody how it happened. All they did was punish the, the lieutenant and the soldiers. Um, you know, not the real reason why. And then Nixon's carpet bombing of Hanoi was a war crime, and that was just brushed aside. The U.S. has committed lots of other war crimes since the Vietnam War and buried the facts. Um, you know, they stuff got out, like the Abu Ghraib fiasco, and they buried a lot of that, too. How many know about the 40,000 Iraqis killed in Mosul during the Iraq War? Yeah, that never got out very far. What about the civilian casualties in Afghanistan? The U.S. and British Special Operations soldiers committed lots of criminal activities, but those crimes are buried in the Pentagon somewhere. The British government has tried to bury their lawsuit by the Afghans for some of their SAS operators assassinating civilians for being in the wrong place at the right time. The United States is guilty of so much more but have never been held accountable by the Western world. Now, why is that? So here's another article from The Nation that gives us more about U.S. policy since Vietnam. Israel is losing this war. Despite the violence it has unleashed on Palestinians, Israel is failing to achieve its political goals by Tony Karen and Daniel Levy in TheNation.com. The answer is leverage. Ever since the 1950s, when the U.S. corporate arms manufacturers figured out they could make a killing selling leftover World War II military surplus internationally with the government taking their cut, they have built up such a huge clientele that no one has dared upset the weapons apple cart until recently. A large portion of the annual billions the, U billions the U.S. has been given Israel for self-defense, unquote, has gone into their own weapons manufacturing programs and now they have leverage they can use to give them a get-out-of-jail-free card, just like their big brother in the United States. All they have to do is threaten them with whole weapon sales to anyone who dares stand up to them, and they have usually capitulated. Propaganda problem solved. Israel went overboard to cover up their technology failures on October 7th and expected the world to go along with it. But they haven't, except the U.S., and even they are backing up a little bit, but just a little. As I read to you in the first half, Biden has bypassed a congressional approval to make thousands of tank rounds to Israel quickly. And Congress has been awfully quiet about that, when they are usually very publicly in arms over everything Biden does without their approval. Of course, Republicans have been vocal supporters of Israel from the beginning, so this may be why this is getting a pass, citing religious affiliation with the Jews and all of that. As I mentioned in a previous broadcast, the Zionists will milk that for all it's worth for now and throw the Republican Christian in the ditch when they're finished with them. The general feeling around the world is that Israel is going too far, but governments are afraid to buck the golden goose, so are muttering platitudes without being too loud about it. Ireland being the exception, but the EU is ignoring that pesky Irish fly for now. This is how the Palestinians are seeing the world through their eyes based on who says and does what. This is the next article I got from Al Jazeera. Alarming. Palestinians accuse ICC prosecutor of bias after Israel visit. 
While the ICC offers an alternative to Israeli courts, no arrest warrants have been issued against Israeli officials and commanders. This by Matt Nashed and Zina Al-Tahran. As a lot of writers talked about in November, what is the real admission objective here? Ethnic cleansing of Gaza and the West Bank are the obvious goals. But is this a smokescreen for something more nefarious by Israel? Is Israel trying to control all the million mineral and fossil fuel assets under Gaza and off the coast? Or is that another diversion to see the world and give them what they really want? The West Bank settlers have probably told us, but few are listening. There is some consensus that Israel wants all of their ancestral lands back as given to Abraham by their God. From the river to the sea, everyone seems to be dismissing this right now, but what if that's the actual end goal? That would make Israel one of the most powerful countries in the Middle East. There have been a couple of opinion pieces written by independent journalists and others who have asked this question, but no one seems to want to jump on that right now. What if the U.S. is secretly backing this objective? That would stand, they would stand to gain hugely from this, as long as they can keep throwing money at Israel, something the U.S. desperately needs right now to keep their standing in the world. They have lost a lot of credibility of late in their disastrous wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and their recent support of Israel's obvious war crimes. Saudis will keep being the West's best friends as long as there's money to be made. Syria is leaning hard towards supporting the Palestinians now. Hezbollah has been supporting the Palestinians because they will do anything to rid the region of the Jews. Iran is supporting the Palestinians, Palestinians from a distance by making a lot of noise, but little else unless you count the missiles or drone strikes on the U.S. forward bases in Syria and Iraq by local militias supposedly backed by Iran, something they deny. It wouldn't be the first time the U.S. lied to the world about who's attacking them. Anything to point the finger where they want it to go instead of the truth. The new stinging fly is the Houthis in Yemen throwing their little weight around the Gulf by declaring they will target any Israeli-bound cargo ships with missiles and hijackings. What are the U.S. and NATO navies going to do about them? For now, keep shooting down missiles and drones. But the odds of one or two getting through are pretty good. As a matter of fact, there was a ship in the news either yesterday or today that did get hit with a missile. Didn't do a lot of damage. But what happens when one does? An environmental disaster from a severely damaged tanker? No one said that the Houthis were very bright. But can imagine that. What if they sink an oil tanker out there in the Gulf, right there across the Straits? Can you imagine the environmental disaster that would be? The point is, more and more nations in the regions are starting to step up and demand a ceasefire. And that's obvious with the vote that they just had. More and more people around the world are protesting for a ceasefire. What will the, will, what will the government supporting Israel do going forward? Especially the U.S., who is risking a lot of capital with this support against the will of the common people. What if the EU decides that enough is enough? Would the U.S. acquiesce to follow the EU? It certainly doesn't look like it right now. The United States doesn't do anything for anybody unless there's a big incentive for them. If there's no money to be made or power to be gained, they will close their doors and do whatever they want. They have a long reputation of doing just that. World opinion be damned. George W. Bush showed the world just what he thought about their opinion when he lied about the reason for invading Iraq. Then there were the lies about needing to spend 20 years in Afghanistan and so many others. So why do we wonder why the Israelis feel like they need to tell lies to the rest of the world to justify what they're doing? They're following example of their big brother, the United States. 
Now, the question for the rest of us is, how far are we willing to let this go on? Or are we too concerned with our own daily life affairs to care about the Palestinians enough to get involved? With the U.S. Congress getting in a snit about cutting off funding for Ukraine now over their southern border policies, we can see where their priorities are. And it isn't Palestine, Hamas, or any other war-torn part of the world. The U.S. is starting to turn their back on everybody who doesn't want to make them any money. How much money has the U.S. given to Sudan or Ethiopia to make it front-page news? Can anyone answer that? The U.S. donates to the NGOs who run the World Food Programs and health organizations or other U.N.-run health programs, but I've yet to see any news about any real support for one of the factions over there or the other, likely because these countries have nothing to offer the U.S. The U.S. is standing by to help Guyana hold out the Venezuelans in their latest saber-rattling, but only because ExxonMobil has fossil fuel recovery equipment there and probably in agreement for a big cut of the oil recovered from Guyana. If it weren't for the oil, there probably would be little mentioned from Washington. The bottom line here is that the United States and its proxy rulers, the corporations, never do anything for anyone unless there's a profit to be made somehow. They are known speculators, but always with some kind of leverage in their favor. So one has to ask, what leverage does Israel have over the U.S. government that makes the United States cave and help them with their ethnic cleansing? So that's all I've got for you today. Thank you for listening. And I hope I've given something, some, all of you something to think about as you finish out your work week. Thank you for listening to the show today. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll return again for another episode of The Village Oak Tree. Feel free to share this with your friends and relations. The more you share, the more we can convince enough people to make the world a better place to live in. I hope I've achieved my goal and helping you feel like we've been sitting under the Village Oak Tree today. As a Shauna Kay, I want to continue to travel to your digital village every week to bring you something that might bring you a smile or make you think a little bit after we part for the day. As I say goodbye this week, I wish to leave you with this Irish blessing as you go about your day. May you live as long as you want and never want as long as you live. Schlange foil, which means goodbye for now in Irish. Mm-hmm.